0: ladies and gentlemen welcome into to this show that we call bow on bulls i am big dave that is chris aka C Dub. thank y'all for joining us thank y'all for being here thank y'all for listening tuning in however you're tuning in we got a special guest on our show today he calls nba games and he does it in two languages which is really really impressive because i struggle with one and the fact that he can do two is pretty awesome um, also, a really solid coach and just a really great guy in general, man. Uh, all the way from over in Finland, it's our guy, Coach Christian Palotti. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good and good pronunciation. Appreciate you. Appreciate the intro and and always good to be back with you guys.
0: I've been practicing for years, Coach. So you know I'm gonna get it down
1: sometime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because I wanna um I wanna get into this uh, before we before I get into you know while you're here, before we get into our Lowry uh, celebration. Um, I want to, I unfortunately have to ask you about the Chicago Bulls and the the struggles they've been having uh, this season. uh, Definitely underachieved, definitely been underwhelming, uh, inconsistent, whatever negative adjective you want to throw out there for the Bulls kind of works in this scenario. Uh, What have you seen uh, from the Bulls this season? And what is something that you can look at and say, this is what needs to drastically improve if they're going to have any shot uh, going forward in these next 27 games of making the playoffs. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty loaded loaded question. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> uh, the the front office decisions obviously have not been great, uh, especially looking at how uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And now uh, Lowry have have played uh, when they've left Chicago. Um, they went. Pretty all-in on on Vucevic and and DeRozan, especially Vuc. Uh, Vuc has played better better this season. Um, DeRozan, to a certain point, I think is a really, really winning player. Uh, But then all of this uh, added to the fact that Zach Levine has now had two surgeries on his knee and did not look great uh, to start the season. He's been better, but I'm still worried about his explosiveness and kind of his, uh, his his ability to sustain this level on a a game to game basis. And I don't think they ever found their guy to kind of fill the uh, three, four position. Patrick Williams is not yet that guy. And uh, then they never found a point point guard that complements these two. Oh, they did find Lonzo ball, but the exact same issue. I feel like if this team was completely healthy, I think they could be a challenger to the top four, maybe with Cleveland, uh, maybe get, get into fourth fourth place, place, but injuries and going all in on guys that are good, but not next tier level, uh, all NBA caliber players, or at least not Vucevic. Uh, I think that's that's been kind of the issue here. What do they need to do? Uh, I was surprised they didn't do anything and now, Russell Westbrook might be an option for them. I don't think that's going to solve anything. He's not the right type of player, in my mind at least, for for this team. He does, uh, with Vooch on the floor, uh, he'll have opportunities to attack space. The, the floor will be spread for him, but I think he uh, takes things away from DeRozan. I don't know how you play those two guys uh, consistently, highly, and I don't think Westbrook as a presence right now is a, is a good thing. Um, I would almost reboot with this group, but... Mm tough to see uh, going forward how they'll uh, challenge for a top four seed.
2: You mentioned that uh, they pretty much put all their chips in to uh, DeMar Rosen and uh, Zach Levine and Vooch. Um I, I think, you know, just based on the fact that they believe that Zach Levine could yet hit another gear, another gear, another level mm-hmm. in this play on the court, maybe have like one or two years where he's like really good top 10 player. Um, given the injuries, do you think that's a good assumption? or a a good good way of thinking for the front office that Dan LeVayne can level up, (laughs) you know, know, that's that's being a very good player all-star to superstar level.
1: They have, they've seen the medical information we haven't. So uh, their guess should be better than ours, but sometimes when you're so invested in a player and have decided that he's our guy going forward, he's the, he's the player we kind of built around. Um, it can be dangerous uh, from the outside. It doesn't seem that way that Zach Levine will be better in two years than what he was last season, but who knows? It is a possibility, but I think everybody would be surprised if that were to happen.
0: Coach, you mentioned uh, what they did at the trade deadline. I was one who was, who was well, among many, who was highly upset that they did nothing. And it wasn't oh. even the fact that they didn't do anything. I think it's because of the, the ideology that was sold to us. Uh, we're trying to make the playoffs we're we're not we're not comfortable or accepting mediocrity when you say those things to me that means you're really trying to win and go all in so to see them do nothing uh at the deadline especially to address the biggest issue which is three-point shooting um just kind of set me back a little bit as far as my faith is concerned um in ak and mark eversley um and, I, and people kept telling me, I just didn't want them to make any kind of move. You know, just don't make any mm-hmm. silly move and just don't do anything like that. And I'm like, but that's fine if you're not trying to win. You've, you've got to let something go if you're trying to win uh, this game out here. Do you yeah. have any, um, and this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, mm-hmm. but do you have any like speculation or reasoning why they wouldn't make any kind of move now? Is it because he really does believe in the roster or... Maybe it's because he feels like I, I can do all this in the offseason kind of thing. Like, do you have any idea in yourself?
1: No, I mean, we can only guess. Uh, and maybe the Lakers didn't offer their 27 and 29 picks unprotected for uh, Vucevic or, and or uh, Levine or, or DeRozan. I mean, two of those three. Um, tough to say what the kind of logic is behind behind all this Um uh, it's it's such a zero sum game that if you don't succeed people get fired if you do if you make the wrong roster construction then you know gms like karnishovas do get fired in these situations and uh, when we're like for example if you compare it to the co- to coaching uh mike brown has not been historically an offensive savant and all of a sudden he's lead he has a team around him uh that's maybe the best offensive team in basketball right now in sacramento so Sometimes we judge the poor decisions and feel like this person will always make poor decisions and don't kind of give second chances in, in big situations like this. And it's a, um, it's a billion dollar business. I get it, but it's, it, it is it, like, if you do make bad decisions, things, um, they tend to escalate and it's easier to blame somebody and bring somebody new in, um, I don't know what the logic is behind not making moves. Now we don't know what the exact offers were and what the, their cal- calculations are in terms of what they can make uh, in the, what kind of offers they'll get in the off season. These are good questions. It's tough to put faith uh, in a, a franchise that uh, has been unwilling to pay the luxury tax, even though it's a big mark big market has made mistakes um, in terms of free agency and, and trades and, I think Markkinen is the best example of this. So, in the past few years, so it's it's not an easy spot to be as a Bulls fan. I get it, but it's I don't know what the quick fix is, and uh, kind of uh, is it good to just uh, blame the person out of town, (laughs) but or or whether we should give give these people a new shot. I don't know.
0: No, you're right about that because because that luxury tax, you know, they're 1.7. You know what I'm saying? Before they have to go into the luxury tax, so the 1.7 million below that luxury tax line, and they've only paid the luxury tax, I think, one time since Reinsfeld has been uh, president here and owning his team. So I wonder if that plays into it too. If AK is, you know, not playing with a, you know, with both hands. If he's got one hand kind of tied behind his back because he knows he can't go into that, and he can't go into that if, if he can't go and show them like, yo, if you give me this, then we'll be a contender. Like, yep. it's not that quick logic, like you just said, not that quick fix kind of quick logic, but yeah. that's not how it work, is it, Coach? Like, you have no. to still make those moves, right, in the NBA yeah. if you're trying to win, correct?
1: Yeah, and... Sometimes things are out of your control. Sometimes you don't know that Lonzo Ball, will his knee injury is this bad. And Alex Caruso got injured last season when they were really going as well. And who knows, they could have been a top three seed if they had stayed healthy throughout the year. And and who knows what could have happened in the playoffs. And all of a sudden this discussion would have been completely different what we're having now. But uh, you need to get lucky, but you also need to make good decisions. And the fact that they made trades where the players have blossomed outside of Chicago is... Should be a concern for them.
2: That also makes you wonder, like, if they thought Alonzo Ball was definitely going to come back sometime next year. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you think you're that good with Alonzo with, with Alonzo Ball at you know playing on this team, why would it be a, a big deal to, to go over to Texas a little bit just to be a little bit better? <laughs> you know, Alonzo Ball, you're paying you got twenty million dollars. Who's not doing anything but sitting, on, sitting, sitting at home? Yep. I mean, that is really just hamstring the exactly. it's, it's It's a very tough decision. But I like what you said about Mike Brown, and I'm I'm trying to be optimistic about the Bulls. Is that, and given Laurie marketing is this example? I can't say Laurie like you said Laurie. Laurie, Laurie, Laurie I can't. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but uh, is that Mike Brown, coached again under Steve Kerr, went under Steve Kerr? Maybe mm-hmm. he just got better at coaching.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. People improve, right. and
2: like right, people improve, right? And and so Laurie, it, basically with Laurie, and, and also in the um, in the podcast, I think the three. Old heads, what's what's the call with um, uh, the shooter um JJ Reddick, JJ, Redick, JJ Redick, yeah. right? He pretty much admitted that mentally they took him out of the basketball, which was showed on the floor that mentally he was not yeah. into basketball at all. But to your point, coach, people get better, you know, yeah. and so I think the front office is banking on the fact that they're not going to get rid of the Indy's John Tana, they banking on the fact that they have to be they have to be patient and that this team will get better. And cross your fingers that Lonzo comes back. I guess.
1: Yeah, it's um, but the one constant that has been with this team is obviously obviously Reinsdorf and like his clear motivation is to make as much money as possible. So he doesn't want to play pay the luxury tax. And if your team is unwilling to pay the luxury tax ever, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but you're not going to win a title. It's just not going to happen in the modern NBA. It hasn't happened in, I don't know since the 90s that a team hasn't or ever since the luxury tax format has been in play i don't think a team has has won the title without being in the luxury tax so mm-hmm. when you have an owner that's or that's the biggest competitive advantage that some teams have they have a wo- owner that's willing to spend and the teams that don't have an owner that that is willing to spend they're not going to win a title i'm sorry
0: let me ask you about patrick williams because um, a lot of the same kind of criticisms and critiques I hear about him are kind of very similar to when Lowry was here. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's uh, just hangs around the three point line. He's not aggressive enough. Um, he's not consistent, you know, with things. Um, he he needs to work on this to get this part of his game better. Like it's a lot. Every time I hear these arguments, I'm like, man, this feels like deja vu uh-huh. when, when I sit here and listen about Patrick Williams. What is your feelings on Patrick Williams and, and his game where he is?
1: Well, with and it was easier to see because he played with the national team. And when he did, right. he he was fantastic in how he was yes. utilized as more of a ball handler. You could see him in a different environment. Yeah, the level of play is sometimes not as high, as, especially if you're not – playing Slovenia or, or France or, or one of the one of the top teams. Um, and the, the spacing is different. The court is a little bit smaller in, in FIBA. So the game is different, no question. But we've seen instances that, wait a minute, when you have him coming off of dynamic actions and using ball screens sometimes and uh, being a, uh, off ball screen, etc., making reads off of that, whether it's a flare screen or a down screen, and all of a sudden you have him moving, have him catching on the move. He's a different player. And then when you relegate him to standing in the corner, it was be easy for Finns to get upset because we've seen what Markkinen can do in, in uh, better situations. With Patrick Williams, we haven't seen it in in recent years or, or at a comparable level. So it's tough to say how much is on him, his timidness, um, his confidence, his inability to see kind of how the floor changes, make quick reads, and how much is it about coaching? How much is it about the players he's playing with? It's possibly all three of these that mm-hmm. play a part in in uh, with Patrick Williams. But I think it, as an educated guess,, uh, one could say that that coaching and especially uh, player development, is an issue in, in Chicago and they haven't been able to put guys into situations where they improve constantly and, uh, and kind of can add to their games uh, going, se- especially between seasons. I mean, Patrick Williams, we've seen the mid range uh, shot that he has the to touch kind of around that floater area, how good that is. You would think that you could translate that into uh, more consistent performance, but it hasn't happened. Uh, um, there's the examples are so the sample size is so small, small, that it's dangerous to make absolute observations without actually being there present and mm-hmm. seeing what's happening and you know, on a day in a day out basis. But it's not looking as good for Patrick Williams as a lot of us had hoped. We, we, we were hoping that he's going to become, become a, if not an all-star player, then a, you know, a really, really high level role player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not that right now. Mm. Oh, uh, let me. Yeah, go ahead, Chris.
2: No, I was. I was gonna say. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up coaching and also play development because those those two things. It's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Patrick, Patrick Williams is sort of like, you know, the evidence we have whether or not the Bulls the Bulls front office has really changed and developed, yeah. as far as developing players and having a good coach. Um, But there's some things I see out there. Like, if I was a coach, I would never have Pat do or she should do, and he's not learned yet. And but we'll see, man. We'll see. I, I yeah, you can't. He's a year behind development, right? So you can't judge him as if as if he didn't get injured early in his career. So you get behind, sure. just like kind of like Kobe. So like everyone, like we always say, wait till next year, uh, <laughs> and maybe maybe we'll see the true passion Williams.
1: It's possible. And in the picking order, he's not as important as Jarron or Levine or Vucevic. You need to make keep these guys happy and make sure that they're. Uh, the offense is flowing as effectively as possible through them. And that sometimes means that a player like Patrick Williams gets relegated to a lesser role. But the better teams, especially now, I feel like teams are much better at utilizing uh, their players' attributes than what they were a couple of seasons ago. And and teams really um, prefer more movement and, and kind of individualized spacing. Uh, they put players in the best possible situations, even when they're the fifth, sixth, seventh guy. And uh, maybe the focus has been too much on the top three and especially the top two in, in DeRozan and, and Levine that when injuries do happen and and when one of these guys is not having a good game or both of them are not having a good game, then um, especially it seems like against the lesser teams, uh, the Bulls are, are losing when you would need those role guys to step up and, they haven't been able to do that, or they haven't been given the, the confidence to uh, to play better and kind of carry those two stars when they're feeling tired and and mm-hmm. not maybe they don't have it against the lesser teams when Chicago plays. Yeah,
0: coach. Let me since you were, since he was asking about coaching, I wanted to ask you about uh, Billy Donovan, mm-hmm. um, because that it feels some fans either don't give him any of the blame of what's going on or they give mm-hmm. him all of the blame or mo- most of the blame that's sure. going on. Um, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of it. I don't blame him for everything, but I think when you, when things are going bad, everybody, you know what I'm saying? Gets a piece of this. Mm-hmm. Um, just wonder your feelings on Billy Donovan, because there seems to be a real disconnect from what he's saying and what he's teaching and what he's trying to show to what is actually happening on the floor. Is it, you know, him not being more assertive? Is, is it they just tuned him out at some point? Is it him just not making the right calls? Like, like, what do you feel is not working with Billy Donovan?
1: I think it's important that when we do speak about coaches that uh, what we're really speaking about is, or talking about is the entire staff, uh, that it's mm-hmm. not just the head coach. Uh, every one of the staff has an important role to play and it's not even the, the him and he, I think he has six assistants. Yeah, mm-hmm. six assistants on his team plus uh, any any video guy and stuff. Uh, it's I wouldn't put any blame on video guys and and, and <laughs> those we have no idea about. But um, the latest reports had uh, said something that Zach Levine had kind of tuned Donovan out, but the rest of the team was kind of behind Donovan. Um, I don't know how truthful that is or how factual that is, but it is dangerous when things like that do leak out. To me, um, any st- Every NBA coach is a fantastic coach. The issue is, are you giving your franchise a competitive competitive advantage in terms of coaching? And right now, you can't say Chicago is one of the better coach teams in the league, that they're doing something better than anybody else. And you have to understand what kind of a squad you have to utilize, and then try to find out what are the areas where we can gain a competitive advantage against the other teams and what are kind of our weaknesses that we can hide or mitigate in some other fashion. And to me, the Bulls are kind of blah. It's it, There's nothing really special uh, going on uh, where I think last season up until late February, it seemed like they were opening the floor up really well and um, they were hiding Vucevic defensively really well when Lonzo and Caruso were so good at breaking breaking ball screens. And even in that drop coverage, uh, guards were really uh, hurried uh, when they were trying to use those screens because Caruso and Lonzo ball just refused to get hit or refused to allow separation in those ball screen situations. Now it's it's a little more or it, there's nothing special about the team right now and and also how last season they opened up the floor for DeRozan to work his magic in the mid-range and I feel like teams have also gotten better at that to uh, help on him and know who to help off of and uh, most importantly kind of mitigate the uh, how, how the role players can be effective for this team so at least we haven't seen a drastic improvement in terms of scheme and tactics
2: yeah, one micro, one, micro, one micro thing that really annoyed me, um, and this is one thing I saw that early the season that really annoyed me that I questioned the coaching of the team, and involves Patrick Williams. Uh-huh. There were several times earlier in the year where Patrick Williams was so timid to bring the ball down the court, he'll throw it away. And I'm saying to myself, that I'm a coach of the Bulls team. I immediately telling Patrick Williams at the beginning of the year, you are never passing the ball. You are pushing it all the time. Uh-huh. The fact that he felt like he was, he had to give up the ball I just felt like, who's telling him to do this? Like, I don't know. Yeah. This is one of the things I saw you know, earlier. I'm like, aren't you telling him to get better at basketball? You just take the ball out the basket, out the rim, and take it down the court. I don't want to ever see you get the ball up to, he gave it to um, Drummer and a couple of times on a fast break because he didn't want to draw the ball down the court. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm coaching the and this is me, a fan, beginning of the year, I'm telling him, you are gone. Yeah. I don't want ever see you. And the fact that that happened in the game, I was like, that's weird. Like, why are they telling him? So that's one little thing that I, throughout the year you've seen this that I started, I, so I start questioning the coaching a little bit here. I'm like, okay, what are you telling this guy? And he's so timid that he wants to get the ball to Drummond. I think it's a steal or rebound. So that, that's little, some some evidence. in when I start questioning my personal question, the coaching the little team.
1: I think um, the confidence you just spoke of is, is really important. And the other uh, kind of aspect of that is trust and trust in your teammates. And, uh, is it Patrick Williams being um, timid or is he thinking that, hey, we need to get organized, that this is how we planned on, or this is the game plan in terms of getting an organized offense that I, I'll just give the ball to somebody and at least base out to my proper position uh, instead of understanding that, hey, you have a fast break opportunity, or at least, you know, you have numbers down the court, just play, just go. Um It can't be one or the other. And Lonzo Ball, as great as he is in, as a transition point guard, he, he always does ask for the ball. He's like, uh, Utah has this issue right now with both Clarkson and Sexton that no matter who gets the rebound, they're asking for the ball almost underneath the rim. Like, no, you have, (laughs) you have Mark and just run he can bring the ball up. It's It slows the game down when one of your five players is waiting and asking for the ball. So maybe Patrick Williams is so used to that as well that he's kind of waiting, all right, who should I pass the ball up to? Because uh, usually our point guard has asked for the ball and, and wanted to make the decisions himself. But just go, just play. And uh, the better teams, how well, especially this season, I think the biggest change from last season tactically has been how well teams flow from a fast break to something organized. And that mm-hmm. has not been the case for Chicago at all. And usually it's mm-hmm. been at high post entry or something like that, especially if you're looking at Sacramento and Denver who are, or Sacramento is the, probably the best, best example in terms of right. flowing into, into something organized off of a fast break. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like anybody can bring the ball up. Everybody can push the ball. Uh, anybody's allowed to pass ahead. Uh, nobody's waiting for the ball to be put in their hands. And I think that's the, Biggest difference between uh, some teams getting a few points per hundred percent uh, advantage uh, off of a missed shot uh, in the NBA right now.
2: That's a very good point because I'm thinking real quick about you know this how we always hear Stacey King say why would not they run? But maybe one of the reasons why is that you said Demar and Devine kind of hovering backcourt is you know yeah. instead of just going, yeah, they're expecting the ball
1: exactly, uh,
0: coach. I kind of wanted to, um, how can I say this? I wanted to ask about Vucevic, uh-huh. and since the by Bulls the way, he's make... another
1: example of a horrible uh, transition player. Like yes. he, he yes. does <laughs> not fit, fit that. Fit, like that, that's no, an like, issue for for them for sure.
0: He's clearly like gets the rebound. He's the trailer for three. Like I think yeah. he turned himself into a good three point shooter because he can't get down the floor. Exactly, up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he he obviously his contract is up at the end of the year. And sure. since the Bulls didn't trade him, it's either you're here or we get nothing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like that decision? Uh, because, and I'm only asking this because Booch is going to be, you know, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he'll be 33 uh, this year. He still has some game left in him. Obviously, he had a 43 and 14 game. Like he still has yeah. game left in him. He still be can be a contributing to a team as maybe their third best player. Um, but he had to find his role here. This is like the first year I felt like he found himself since he's been here uh, uh-huh. on the team and he, he had to get used to not being the one and had to move into, you know, learn to be a three. Do you think the Bulls should go ahead and, and give him this contract, you know, maybe two, three year deal, you know, just paying him something, you know, simple, nothing big, you know what I mean? Like maybe 10, 15 million a year or something like that for him. Um, or should the Bulls, you know, hit this signing trade. And like you said, hit that reset button because I think it kind of starts with him and that contract.
1: I mean, what is realistic and, and what can actually happen uh, from a bulls fan perspective, if, if he's willing to take a minimum deal for, for two years, that'd be great, but, but he's not going to do that. So, uh, but uh, as the cap goes up dramatically in 2025, and to be either or that's what we're expecting. We don't know how much the new TV deal, uh, whether they'll, you know, have the cap go up sp- or spike up really quickly like they did in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not. It will probably level out, but still, they'll they will there will be a significant cap rise, and a lot of uh, players will be wanting to be free agents that summer. So, uh, in terms of Vucevic, almost overpaying him for two years. Uh, to have that cap flexibility in 2025 is probably going to be important. And also if you can't get those top free agents in 2025, not give out bad contracts, but just because the cap is bigger, we saw what happened in 2016 and how, how a lot of free agents got screwed in 2017. Yeah. Um, but um, I think a shorter deal and maybe overpaying him is the right call because then you can at least move him in his final year of his contract. But um Maybe a a capologist will will actually say that actually giving him a long contract that's um, you know front loaded, for example, uh, with that rising uh, rising cap in twenty twenty five may be the better option. But uh, to me, at least uh, from my understanding, I think a a short contract, even if it's a little overpaid, is the better call for for Vucevic because then moving him won't be that much of a problem.
0: Mm. Uh, and speaking of contracts, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Russell Westbrook, who yeah. has been the guy kind of linked to the Bulls, you know, in, in several, uh, or oh, well, I should say just on Twitter, people yeah. are reporting what a Bulls insider, quote unquote, has uh-huh. said about, you know, Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Westbrook, excuse me, uh, coming here to the Bulls. What are your feelings on it? Because I'll tell you how I feel. Everything you're about to say negatively, I agree with. <laughs> I promise you 100%. Yeah. I completely agree with Mm-hmm. My thing, <clears throat> I think it has nothing to do with that. My thing is when I look at this team, the, nothing gets me more mad coach than watching a team I love not play with any heart or any effort. Nothing will yeah. piss me off ever. And watching the Bulls, they did it yesterday. I watched them not have any heart or any effort in Cleveland mm-hmm. in that fourth quarter again. And I watched them score four points in the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter. Like they were just atrocious and it just feels like they quit and they didn't care. That's over. If Russell Westbrook comes here to your team, like immediately he's a kick in the ass immediately. He's checking somebody. I like that aspect. I love his goon nature. uh, very, very much. And plus the Bulls are dying, you know, for a point guard and he can actually push the pace and, but everything else, but everything else, as far as basketball is concerned, no, it's not a fit uh, for this team, but how do you feel about Russell Westbrook playing just for the Chicago Bulls?
1: And, I think how you just kind of described your feelings, it speaks to your kind of desperation of the team Hmm. that we need something and maybe Westbrook is it. Uh, Unfortunately, he has not been the answer for, for a couple of seasons now. Uh, Anything, everything you said about Westbrook is true. uh, But what kind of a baggage does he bring uh, to the team and how you saw kind of the situation with, with the Lakers play out where, um, when LeBron's on the floor, he's and he, when Westbrook is taken off the floor, he runs to the locker room and does his own thing. And then comes back when his rotation minutes are going, are, are are, uh, coming up again, that he's supposed to get on the floor and stuff like that. So, um, how much of that, how much of that is on the Lakers environment and how much of that is on Westbrook? Uh, he's been a, a determined individual in the good and the bad. Um, to me, um, I think the Westbrook situation is more um, interesting in the fact that if he gets bought out, he'll get a minimum deal now. And that means he won't have his bird rights. And I'm struggling to find teams that are going to pay him the kind of salary that he hopes for. And if he... Uh, stays with Utah, even if it means staying away from the team, then he'll have his bird rights. He can be signed and traded and he'll get a contract that uh, more likely will profit him better. But once you sign for the minimum after a buyout, you are labeled as a minimum guy. It happened Mm -hmm. to Blake Griffin, for example, and and Mm -hmm. other guys like that. So I think that's an interesting situation. Let's see how that plays out. And if he does join Chicago, I think everything you just said is true, but all of a sudden, instead of uh, getting annoyed that the player played or the team doesn't play with any heart, all of a sudden they're not playing with any brains. And so I'm, I'm mm. not sure that uh, mm. being mad about one thing or being frustrated about the lack of effort now and then being frustrated about the lack of um situational IQ. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I don't know if that's a better place to be. But, but I would not have. West Br- yeah, I would <laughs> not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I would not uh, touch Westbrook personally if I was mm-hmm. Chicago. I don't think he's going to fix anything, but maybe they're desperate enough just to change it up a little bit, and maybe he'll help them win a few more games, get a low playoff seed, and they get then get knocked in the first knocked out in the first round. But I think the Correct. questions are bigger than Russell Westbrook.
2: Fact. Yeah. 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 Westbrook one of those players. I think that uh, when he joins the Bulls, if he joins the Bulls and he plays, people are going to realize how good he is. His fossil will still be there. But I think it's full saying we go, Oh, he can actually run point guard, run a pick and roll, and you know, or mm-hmm. do things on a higher level than what we have now. I think yeah. that'd be really evident when he gets on the floor. The negative that we mentioned before what he brings, that would be there. But I think he, if anything, could be a slight benefit better <laughs> than yeah. what we have now on the team. I think he could elevate some aspects of the game for
1: the Bulls. And his fit with Vucevic would be really, really good. He yeah. he's he's attacking the rim, Vucevic is popping out. That's a perfect combination.
0: Yeah, yeah. he plays but it's, like, Donovan, uh, but it's like you just said, coach, like even what, what Chris just said, it's bare minimum stuff we're asking for. Yeah, like, He was like just a point guard that could run a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we're asking for. You know, we we we're low on the IQ, like, or as I call it, the point guardsmanship on this yeah. team. Like they're very, very low on that aspect. And he would be the best point guard that the Bulls have. And it's just like a quarterback to me, coach. Like yeah. when you have four point guards and you don't have one. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you really struggle. Exactly. So yes, desperate times call for desperate sure. <laughs> measures uh for this team, coach.
1: And just just to specify, Westbrook is a excellent passer a great decision maker he's a high IQ player but he's like in terms of individual possessions when he's put in the right spot but um, in, in terms of time and score in terms of um, what kind of a, a po- whether this shot or this possession will create positive, positive energy for the team uh, if I take a three off the dribble when we've had two bad possessions in a row and now I take a bad shot again how well is my teammates are my teammates going to run back and defend I, those are the situations where Westbrook really, really struggles and kills the team. That's kills fair. the team is strong, but but yeah. anyway hurts, hurts them for sure. Yeah, hurts them for sure. Uh but the things you mentioned uh in terms of point guard ability, in terms of passing, in terms of um creating advantages, he's a he's a good player. There's no Everybody. question about that. Hey. It's every it's everything else that he does that has been the problem for the past <laughs> few years.
0: Fact. um All right, let me let me go around the NBA with you real quick, coach. Um, so we're looking at Boston being number one seed, looking at Denver uh, being the number one seed, uh, has anything really surprised you if I, as far as how good or how bad a team has been in either conference for you?
1: Um, Early on in the season, uh, Utah and Indiana were definitely the two uh, Biggest surprises we saw. I think right now the big surprises has to be Sacramento. Uh, mm. Many people had them as a fringe playing team, that and that would have been kind of a positive surprise. The fact that they're third and have one of the best offenses in the league is remarkable. Uh, you know, what a great story! Story over there. Um, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, what happened to them and how it happened? I don't think you can be surprised in terms of that. Kyrie created a. Uh, some difficult decisions for the front office, but the fact that there's been a lot of comments now from James Harden, for example, saying that things just, it just wasn't the, it, it wasn't Kyrie and KD. It was uh, only, it was things that were happening in the organization. Mm-hmm. I think how they broke up has to be a surprise. But in terms of play, I don't think there's been anything that super surprising. I had the Lakers being pretty bad, um, a fringe playing team. They've been injured more than. Uh, than I would have expected, even though you never you always know that AD will get injured at some point. But uh whether they'll make they'll make the play in or not, I don't know, Minnesota, I didn't have them high up. I thought the Gobert Towns duo was not gonna work, especially in a playoff setting. It hasn't worked in a um, in a regular season setting as well. Maybe Golden State being this bad has been surprising at this inconsistent that they haven't found any flow at, at any point. But I think the teams that we kind of expected to be there are there. New Orleans uh, disappointing, uh, but that's because Zion is out.
2: Yeah, what about, what about Phoenix? Uh, Phoenix right now is thirty one twenty seven. Now we know they have a, a superstar mm-hmm. coming in to to mm-hmm. fix that up. But did you expect them to have this kind of start and be almost hovering around five hundred?
1: I mean, they were really bad to start the year with to start the year and then Booker got injured and they looked really bad, but they've been able to win games. Chris Paul, uh, who started badly for his standards, has been playing really well these these past three, four weeks now. Um I thought Phoenix always had quality throughout their team. Um I uh, the the DeAndre Ayton situation was kind of the dark cloud over the uh over the franchise and how um, disappointing, they were in Game Six and Seven against Dallas, so everybody thought that you know this is it for Phoenix. No. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm surprised that they're there. I still, uh, before the Kevin Durant trade, I didn't have them as a contender. I thought they were a first-round playoff team that's going to get knocked out, and and uh, now obviously things have changed with with KD. Mm-hmm. Um, their ceiling is really high. Whether they have the depth or not to go all the way, I have my doubts. But uh, great team, obviously now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I tell you one one surprise for me uh, was Joker averaging a triple double this season. <laughs> I, I damn sure didn't have that now. Him doing that, not him being good and being mm-hmm. great, but just to this level again. You know what I'm saying? And it feels like once again he's the front runner for MVP. Do you have yeah. him there right now?
1: Right now, yeah. Embiid uh, uh, putting him in a in a torture chamber in the and there. And their matchup obviously was a good case for Embiid, and Embiid was fantastic last night against Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. but he's so much more inconsistent, or Philadelphia is so much more inconsistent, I should say, and Embiid is the heart of that team. That uh, I think on talent, uh, I would say Philadelphia has better talent around Embiid, whether they fit as well as the talent around Jokic. We can have a discussion about that, that maybe Jokic is in a more perfect situation. Um Jokic kind of raises the level of the other players better offensively on defense. Embiid is clearly the better player out of the two, even though Jokic in a regular season setting is um decent or even a good defender, but we know what happens in the playoffs. I have uh, it's a regular season award. I have Jokic ahead of the pack. I have Embiid back to number two, and then I actually just voted in the in the straw poll for uh for ESPN. So uh I put Embiid second. I had Giannis up to third, Tatum fourth, and then I str- struggled between Dame and Luca for fifth. I ended up putting Luca. Mm-hmm. I have, I'm kind of annoyed with Luca, uh, but it's more about kid's system that he's been so ball dominant, and he uh, kind of makes teammates be more passive uh, mm-hmm. because they never get to, to make any decisions. And I think that's been actually hampering Dallas's ceiling more than just the fact that Luca has no help. I don't think Luca has helped that situation personally. And it, we actually saw it with Slovenia last summer. They mm. were night and day compared to the awesome team that we saw in the Olympics. Now they lost to freaking Poland, who has zero NBA players. So, <laughs> and that that's more than partially on Luca. So, I think Luca can be a much much better player, and hopefully, you know, with Kyrie going there, we get to see a better version of Luca Doncic as well. Uh, the stats are fantastic; he's a phenomenal yeah. uh, individual yeah. player. But uh, I don't think he's raised his his team ceiling as much as the other guys I just mentioned.
0: I think also, also a he... hindrance for that, real quick. I think also mm-hmm. a hindrance for that was them going three and oh, you know, with that, without him, you know, when Kyrie sure. was here where they previously were oh and seven when Luka sure. didn't play. So I, yeah. and just watching how that ball moved, you know, when exactly. they were playing, especially in that Sacramento game, man, they, yep. they looked really mean in, the, in that Absolutely. game. Absolutely. In the very next game when Luka comes back, <laughs> you know, back to those losing weights <laughs> so, yeah. No,
1: exactly. And I think that's going to be a learning process. And I think yeah. that's a small sample size, but something sure. really, really important. And sure. I think it was, a, an example I always bring up is 2001 when uh, Kobe and Shaq started feuding. Kobe had worked throughout the summer. Shaq and, had enjoyed himself and and they had just won the title and Shaq came back overweight and Kobe had been in the gym the entire summer. And then Kobe came out of gates, out of the gates, averaging over 30 throughout the season. But the Lakers weren't winning as much as they were used to. And then Kobe got injured for eight games, I think, in March. And they went seven and one. Uh, during that stretch, and then Kobe came back as the best version of a second banana. I think we've ever seen uh, that 2001 stretch when they went 15 and won in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I think those situations can be really important for growth of the t- growth of a team, and hopefully for uh, Golden State that that same thing is happening now without Steph. That they can't just wait. They got to start winning. So maybe that same thing will happen to them. And it actually did happen last season when Steph was, Steph was out. Draymond was out. I think the other guys got more and more comfortable. So maybe the same situation will happen in Dallas now when they see that 3-0 without Luka. And Luka comes back and all of a sudden they go back to their bad ways and lose a game.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up uh, Justin Tatum. Because he's mm-hmm. the best player on the team with the best record. Yeah, <laughs> I think he deserves some love. And they haven't had a full healthy squad all year. And I don't know how long Brown's out. So I wonder if, it, if Brown's out is it any significant time. I don't know how long is I don't know he got hurt. If Tatum, keeps this Boston Celtics team on the on the right train track, on the right tracks, and top of the um, top of the East. If he even would climb the Sharks in MVP voting, because I really like Jason Tatum a lot.
1: That's yeah. It. The Probably will be updated, that. I think, next week. But Tatum okay. is by far the best defender out of the five we just mentioned, in my opinion. That's right, why Coach. I also have him there.
0: Coach, let's get to the celebration. Sure. <laughs> let get to this with you, Coach. Um, let me pull back the curtain just a, a little bit, because uh, I know you and I talk, talk on Twitter a little bit, Cozy. And mm-hmm. before the season started, when I was asking you, you know, we were talking about our feelings, you know, on, you know, Lowry being in Utah – and I remember telling you, like, I thought he was going to have a really great season. Like, I remember Facts. saying this. And, and, I, and again, everybody, very used to, skeptical, as you should be. You know what I mean? Like, didn't know how it was going to work, you know, and things like that. But I don't know. I just felt like he would, he would be at home and be more comfortable. Um, and I thought he was going to snap. And seeing him snap. Uh, I've definitely been going on, you know, my Lowry apology tour, just pulling people and getting my apologies mm-hmm. from everyone coach. So, um, <laughs> but Don't you look at me, <laughs> Oh no, oh, I can use you some of that too, Chris. I, I remember some of your words you had to say, I remember, what did you say? Lowry uh, doesn't want to be the reason for winning. He wants to be a part of it. Oh, I remember that. I remember he that phrase. No, no, but that's
2: true. That is true. Now,
0: now now an all star starter. Was true. He, now that he's was an all star starter. We found out why though.
2: He, he told him a podcast. All
0: star starter <laughs> is what Lowry marketing is, and he'll probably win the three point contest too. We are gonna throw that out Ooh, there. he does that? He's in there. I he's the man. Hey, is a celebration. That. Anything's possible in these next five minutes. So he's in <laughs> <laughs> that celebration. But coach, um, how good it did it feel for you though to sit there and watch Lowry do what I know you've been watching him do for a very very long time because you've been on this show several times yeah. talking about how long you've been watching him and how you knew uh, what he can do on the basketball court. How good does it feel for you to sit there and watch him do this this year?
1: I appreciate you saying that. I knew he could do this. This is uh, this was above and beyond my expectations, even even after. What well, we saw him do at EuroBasket, where they were the, they got knocked out in the quarterfinals, but they were the toughest team that Spain played, and they led through almost throughout the game. But Spain was then the, the uh, more, aged team, or they they have more experience in those situations, and and won the game. But um, I did not expect Lauri or Utah to play at this level. Um, Will Hardy, uh, how he uses marketing and how he um, started the season with that five out concept uh, surprised everybody. This seemed like they were unguardable for stretches, and and I definitely did not expect that happening. This has been an incredible ride, and it's the biggest thing to ever happen for. Not only finished basketball, but for any Nordic country uh, mm-hmm. to have a all, first All Star player from the Nordics and to start an All Star game now, um, yeah, it's because he's a he's a replacement for Zion. But still, he'll be remembered as an All Star starter, and and that's going to stay in the record books. And I don't think many people remember will remember that even in five or ten years mm-hmm. that what was what was the reasoning for him to become a starter. But uh, unbelievable. Uh, Shows his growth as a player, as, um, how I think he under what, uh, CW just said that uh, he didn't want to be the reason for winning. He just wanted to win. Uh, I think you put it pretty well because, uh, I don't think there's any question he started to realize that it's just the business that the NBA is. And no matter how team oriented you are, you can get traded tomorrow. So, um, that uh, and then just playing, uh, meaning that he recognizes tactical situations quicker than before, both on offense and defense. That's played a role. He he really bulked up when he was in Chicago. And uh, then when he went to Cleveland, he was asked to play the three and guard perimeter player. So he completely actually changed his strength training uh, he slimmed down and he uh, really wanted to concentrate on getting quicker, getting more explosive. And I think that's showing uh, more than anything in terms of what we're, what we're seeing, but uh, nobody was, or maybe somebody uh, in their wildest dream was, dreams was expecting this. I was never expecting him to be at, be an all-star, <laughs> but I was expecting him to have a good season, but I thought Utah was going to be a horrific watch in terms of tanking. Yeah. Uh, knowing that Danny Ainge uh, is a GM who wants to win titles. And the way to win titles is to get bad and, and get Wembenyama, <laughs> probably, <laughs> in the next draft. So, uh, yeah, they're in tank mode probably now with uh, with all the moves they make. But the sure. team doesn't lose willingly. And Lauri's been the best player on, uh, on the team throughout the season. Uh, the team isn't perfect. I still... I'm starting to get gray hairs when I watch Clarkson play with him on occasion. <laughs> he's, he's been great on a few occasions. Uh, he's won a bunch of games for them, but my God, the ball gets stuck with him on occasion, and and him and Sexton, and that's been frustrating to watch. But but wow, uh, uh, it's been quite a ride. And now, uh, the more we see Lowry play, the more the hungrier we get, and we want to see him play in the playoffs. And that's not going to happen. now. I'm not sure it's going to happen next season either. And uh we understand that time is limited even though he's only 26 but uh hopefully he'll be a playoff player um in the near future
2: yeah i, I don't want to under, under, understate you know what he, he said on the uh jj Ryder podcast the uh with the old man the three uh-huh. i don't want to understand what he said because basically he is it, it, damning evidence about how poor the management and coaching staff were on the bulls even the mission with carter that that he didn't feel comfortable playing basketball the way he wanted to play, wanted to play basketball there. Yeah. And it showed on the court. It was tangible. Yeah. You saw that on the court. And that is what he said that on the, on the podcast. I was like, Oh, like, was it that bad that we could run off two really good players <laughs> because you got into what yeah. you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact, and, 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 you know, I'm not surprised he's having a good year. I didn't expect to be an all-star, but yeah. I'm not surprised he's having a good year because Unfortunately, your path to being a, re- a good NBA player, their journey may not include the team you got drafted with. See it all exactly. over the NBA. Right, they go to different teams, different coaches, and they get you know get older, get wiser, whatever. And that is how happened. That's your journey. That's your path. Um, and this is the path to becoming a you know the best version of himself in Utah. And it's wonderful to see because Dave, you know, we watch those videos. We all watch the videos from overseas and over here in Chicago. We like, why can't he do that? In the NBA, he's finally doing it in NBA days. And yeah. his just had to gloat about how great Laurie Markman has been.
0: <laughs> oh, I've been gloating since for a long time. Like, I've been on this, <laughs> like for real. Um, I was, was there a moment this season for you, coach, that you just saw it and you were like, okay, that's the, that's the Lowry I've been watching in Finland. That's the one I saw. Because for me, it was early. It was early on. And I saw him just, it, it's not even, honestly, coach, it's not even the game. Like the game looks the same to me but it's his confidence in it now that looks so much different. He's, he's quicker with his decisions, like you said. Like he's much quicker with his decisions and he's just more confident that he is the man when he steps on the basketball floor. And I saw that and I watched that in Finland so many times. Mm-hmm. Like he had that confidence, and had that swagger. And many times I was on here just like, why isn't this connecting? Chris was there, I was just yelling about why it I, wasn't mm-hmm. connecting in, my, mentally from Chicago um, to here. but. Yeah, I, I saw early on uh, this season. Go, go ahead, Chris.
2: Yeah, just to add a Coach, uh, can you also add in, too, fact fact, also in our podcast, he mentioned the offense that Utah ran. Uh, he uh-huh. loves the offense they run. And, and Coach, you mentioned before, him, but with him being the Bulls, not having those cutting opportunities, stand, standing in the three-point line. Can you also add on what Dave said, uh, talk about the offense they run and how he, how he's adapted the offense and how his game fits what Utah does. He's able to be aggressive and confident going to the basket.
1: So... Um well just in terms of how chicago used him obviously it's a blatant misuse of talent uh there's no question and and the fact that especially with boylan uh th- that his he had like 40 touches a game when they had been 80 i mean yeah it was ridiculous everybody understands that uh in cleveland um he was in a really good situation um, they had great team chemistry um he got to play in a uh, situation where especially defensively where uh, he understood that if he puts too much ball pressure and he really tries to guard the opposition best players that it's okay he has evan mobley and jared allen behind him even even if he gets blown by and uh, building confidence on that end as well the issue was that the paint was packed in cleveland so he couldn't utilize his inside out game as well as with utah where well now you have walker kessler who uh, occupies the paint but he's such a vertical threat that he still opens up uh, opens up the floor but how the season started with uh them being five out that's a perfect situation for uh for markkanen and um again how they utilize him they had a lot of plays clearly put in that the finnish national team uses um, the flare screen reads the slips, the down screen um, uh, reads and slips and curls and stuff like that. It's they're still uh, it's at such a high level uh, throughout the season that now or earlier on, especially in the season when when things were clicking and the team was winning, uh, us in Finland were like, great, yes. But now you have this read from that and that read from that, and Utah hadn't put those in already, but we could see already what what they could do. Uh, with with Markkanen and what what kind of reads they could develop even further uh, when opposition started. Um, The Wizards beat him early on in the season by being really aggressive on the switch, switching with contact. All right, now you do this. Maybe do a softer curl and slip that down screen. Now you have a high-low situation. All of a sudden, you can make all these, like um, uh, kind of think ahead about what could happen instead of being in this constant state of uh, well, uh, let's see how this game goes, uh, with Chicago when, uh, it, w- it wasn't fun. And, uh, I don't want to speak for all fins. Every individual is different. But if, uh, fins tend to be so team oriented, uh, that it actually hurts them in, in a lot of situations where sometimes we wish we had a guy who just wants to get buckets, for example, just, just one guy. You don't need to play him if he's not scoring, but just have one guy who wants to score. And, uh, when and markkanen is definitely a guy who is so team oriented when a guy like that asks for a trade uh, that that's telling he he was mm-hmm. there for 4 years uh his second season was great his rookie season was you know this is new this is exciting but the final two years he looked like the joy of basketball had been you know drained from him mm-hmm. and uh, obviously that sucks it's only one example i don't want to make further uh, Reads on on uh what that means in terms of how the franchise is being run, but uh the way he was managed was horrific, mm-hmm. and yeah, now yeah. he's in a better position.
2: The a team, of a team a franchise like the Bulls, they were not able to <laughs> able to exploit the talents of the people they drafted. It's just ridiculous making people shoot threes when they don't shoot threes. Matter of fact, when Martin got drafted, I remember Paxman comment said that is the kind of person. Need to sit in the corner and had a point guard give him the ball. <laughs> That's literally what he's something like that. That's what he's uh-huh. saying. And I'm and did the poor management of the players. It just pains me. Uh, well,
1: and it's strange because when it was already, oh, I, I I don't want to say 2017, 2018, but 2018, 2019, you already saw stretch bigs being completely phased out uh Biggs had to do more than just they have been all the uh, all the trend of the league especially stretch force that oh my god you have a guy who can uh you know play inside and out and kind of punish you in the post and then shoot stationary threes it, now you have jalen browns and jason tatum playing four and Dick kevin durant you can't win basketball games if your your four can only stand still and shoot you need to do more and with the tool the tools that Markkanen has, how quick he is, how uh, good he is in the open court. He doesn't have a tight handle, but he's very good at handling the basketball and, and when he's running with the ball, he's not gonna uh, at the NBA level split ball screens or or stuff like that. He did do that at EuroBasket, which I almost lost my mind when that happened. But still, like <laughs> uh, like his his handles aren't in Brandon Ingram's or Kevin Durant's. They're not quite at that level, but or and he's not as good of a passer as Durant, for example, but. Um, he can make quick decisions uh, when he's driving, uh, wh- how great he is at punishing closeouts, but you get so many more closeouts when you're moving instead of just stayed, standing still. It's much harder for the defense to read what's going to happen next and how to close out this situation when you're constantly turning your head, looking at the ball, trying to find your man. Where's Marken, And now? He's coming up a down screen. He's uh, pinning down, slipping. It. It's. Uh, this is how you utilize uh, mobile big man in, in the modern nba and not how chicago tried to play him especially the final three seasons or the final two seasons i should say uh it's it doesn't help you when you just have a stationary closeout your offense is limited and easy to guard especially in a playoff setting when that happens
0: coach i know um you got a game to call so i Let me get you out of here if I got one more question for you. Sure. Is there any new Lowry sauce that I should be asking you for? Are there any new Lowry marketing products on sale (laughs) right now in Finland that we should know about?
1: Excellent question. Um, I'm... I'm not the best at trying new things. When I find the best product, I just stay with that. And I, I'm not a big kind of uh, tester in that. I have, I'm very specific. And when I find something good, I don't change it. I keep it. I haven't really looked on the shelves. Um, I haven't seen his face posted in on any other products, unless it's like an advertisement. But uh, those sauces definitely still exist. It's a wing restaurant here. It's a chain. Uh I'm glad he's the face of that chain. I eat there sometimes, but the wings are nowhere near uh, the <laughs> level that they are are across the, across the Atlantic. So I'm yeah, not yeah. going to speak too highly of that. But, um, <laughs> but still, um, uh, if I do find a product, I'll definitely send you some. No question. I
0: appreciate that, coach. And I, I will tell you, I, I did get to show Lowry this sauce when he was here playing yeah, with I the heard. bulls. <laughs> Yeah, I showed it to him. I gave you your love for it. He looked at me like, how the hell did you get this? Like, like, yeah. like, like And you know what I told him, Coach? I was like, I got connections, Larry. That's how I go. <laughs> I, know people. I know people, Larry. Um, yeah. Coach, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, please let the people know where they can hear you, where they can listen to you, and where they can find you uh, on social media.
1: So on Twitter, you can find me at Coach Palotie, P-A-L-O-T-I-E. Is how you spell my last name. Uh, I do <laughs> podcasts in Finnish, so that's not going to help a lot of people. Uh, and I do play-by-play mainly in in Finnish. I've done a few in in English throughout the years, but but not consistently. But on Twitter uh, is where I'm most active, and usually it's been about uh, Mark Marconen this season and you and the Utah Jazz. But especially once the playoffs roll around, I try to break the game down from a tactical point of view and from a, a technique tactic point of view about how players um in individual uh, techniques are are uh, good or not good and try to break those down as well um so have a follow if you enjoy that, that type of stuff uh, i i can also be very obnoxious there so i understand not following as well so but no harm there but thank you to both of you to uh, big dave and CW. Uh, pleasure to speak with you always
0: Thanks for having us on, Coach Man. Uh thank y'all for listening to the show. Check us out, ballsports.com. Make sure you pick up all our gear. Check out all our shows. Uh, Chris, anything?
2: Yeah, bossports.com, B-A-W-Sports.com slash store. the first purchase our limited edition, uh, Black 50 Mel Hoodie. limited edition, because like I'm from celebrating, it's also limited. So catch that on the show for March. Uh yeah, that's about it, man. Catch me on Twitter at one. I made 50 comments off the Bulls. Make so I get upset or happy? Uh, it's a great show, man. Hopefully. Awesome. Awesome. Knowledge, man. That's about it, Dave. All right.
0: Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for joining, y'all. Yo, see you next time.
2: Peace. Bye.